Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. Bursting with energy and adrenaline, Jesse Blaze Snyder is a deadly, consistent songwriting machine. His established catalog of powerful words and catchy melodies is licensed regularly for film and television, and his productions have won multiple awards. The fan-favorite finalist of MTV's Rock the Cradle has performed live for millions around the world and absolutely never disappoints, says Larry Rudolph, and I can attest to the same. Acclaimed for his striking lyrics and storytelling abilities, Jesse has honed these skills, scripting comic books for the biggest publishers on the planet. He's also a prolific, talented, knowledgeable host, lending his charming voice and visage to countless brands, products, and shows. And if that's not enough, this New York native is the son of rock and roll royalty. A father of four, his own children, and a national champion semi-pro athlete. Oh, I didn't know you were a champion semi-pro athlete. What does that mean specifically? Yeah, man, I love to say that. <laughs> but that's my little my little ego thing right there for me. It's just because I, I'm I'm not a huge guy, and um, I always wanted to win a championship. So um, I went to CW Post so that I could play football, but I ended up not playing uh, because I was so busy with extracurricular stuff like the radio station and the newspaper. Um, but um, I went on to uh, play for a dynasty in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Mariners. And uh, they've won a lot of uh, semi-pro championships over the years. And I got to, to play uh, once. I mean, I played a lot of seasons with them, but uh, one of the seasons I played, we, we went down to uh, Florida and we won the semi-pro championship, which usually there's like a couple other teams that can kind of claim a semi-pro championship because it's not exactly organized. But for me, it meant so much. Uh, you know, I was a factor in that game. Of course. And it, it, it meant a lot for me to, um, you know, to, to play on that team and to kick some ass. Our coach just died. Oh, and, no. Sorry. Uh, I don't think our team is, um, is going to be continuing on. I came back to New York, and I was like, I want to go play for the Mariners. And then I called up my friend, and he was like, um, Pudgy, he's not doing well. <laughs> so, um, so uh, rest in peace, Pudgy. And I don't know what's going to come with the Mariners now. But, yes, very proud to say that I'm a Brooklyn Mariner. Right on. Well, uh, a little backstory for this. By the way, thank you so much for agreeing to be on this. This is actually our first episode of the re-releasing, re-launching of this, uh, of this show. So 26th. Perfect. The right day. <laughs> so what's interesting, just a little backstory, um, We've known each other for uh, at least 20 plus years, I would say. Um, yeah, something like that. And when did it, you, you, you had met my father through, what was it, Rick Wake? Yeah, so I, I co-produced uh, Widowmaker, the second record. Oh, man. You know, that's one of my favorite records of all time, right? I want to re-record Protect and Serve so badly. And, you know, it, it's a shame. My father has all these huge crowds. And... He, he's a little insecure about his music. And I, like I've learned about my own insecurity watching him 
um, where like if it hasn't been validated in a particular way, he doesn't necessarily feel like it has any value. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, you should just play protect and serve every night and just tell the audience what it means. Tell them yeah. what it means, play that song. And, and he's just like, ah, you know, I don't know. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to take yep. it and I'm going to play that song. Because he's got so many tunes that just mean so much. And I'm just like, why don't you play I Am I Me every night? Well, you know, only so many people. Dude, shut up. <laughs> it's the song. It's what it means. It means something so great and so pure and so beautiful. And it's a beautiful song. Play it. People will go, wow, what a great song. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, man, people have been downloading I Am I Me all of a sudden. That's how songs come back into fruition, is that the artist doesn't forget about them. And the other people who are paying attention notice, and then before you know it, Protect and Serve ends up getting licensed for some movie or something. I, I, I hate how many brilliant tunes he has that he has let kind of fall by the wayside because they weren't validated the way they should have been at the time. Wake Up the Sleeping Giant from Hot Love. My dad's so damn talented. You know, it's really interesting. And I, I love your dad. As a matter of fact, uh, he was on, I did this, this, like this real deal on concept has been around for almost as long as I've known you. When I yeah. left Cove, I started, I, I recorded a bunch of episodes uh, or did one about the music industry and your dad was on it. Al was on it, Al Petrelli, um, and then some other songwriters and stuff. But uh, what's interesting... For those watching, if you've never checked out Widowmaker, the first album is a little bit more old school, like, yeah, I don't know, Twisted Sister-esque, but with much heavier guitars and stuff. But the second album is one of the coolest 90s metal records yeah. that came out during that time. I mean, it, is, it stacks up against anything released at that time. It is so good. And, and I'd like uh, to take a little credit for that. Yes, no, and Doug had a part, a part of it. Um, Al Petrelli playing guitar. Joe, Joe Franco. Franco playing the drums. Uh, our friend Mark Russell, who's a brilliant bass player. And my father singing and writing better than he ever has. It's really like the pinnacle of his own craftsmanship. It's really 100%. Great and what's so yeah. cool right now is this conversation is, you know, how, like, because now you're a father. Yeah. So I met you when you were, you had to have been seven. Like, <laughs> like right? Because when, when did Widowmaker? So I was probably there for a couple of years. How old are you when that second record was made? Yeah, I mean, like, like I mean, we, I think we definitely met in passing. I mean, because I'm 37 now. So, I've, so I was probably, I mean, but that was, I don't know. I was probably closer to nine. Yeah, there was well, I'm saying like you, were, but you were young, like you were. Yeah, there was probably like three of us at that at that time or whatever. Yes, yeah, and, it was just three I, of you. I, we we met again years later, and we ended up writing a song, writing a few songs together at the time. Yeah, well, but what's cool is right now this conversation is your sort of look at your father and like the way you carried him in such a you know like a light and and still do, and then now as you're a father. And having that relationship is just such a cool thing because you were just talking about your child and it's just such a, a great coming of age sort of awareness. And may I talk about that man real quick, you know, as a, you know, the, pers the, the, the person with the proper perspective. Um, you know, if you're at home and you think, oh, I'm D Snyder's biggest fan, you're not D Snyder's biggest fan. I'm D Snyder's biggest fan. 
Um, and it's because I have the proper appreciation for him because I see him. And, and, and let me just say, like, you know, I remember very clearly being at a Zebra concert with some of my friends who are the children of the members of Zebra. And they spent the entire concert hanging out downstairs during the concert. I stand at the side of my father's stage. I have watched him. I love watching him. I think he's just, you know, like a magnet for your eyes and, and that he's like the greatest rock and roll salesman of all time. Um, you know, often playing a catalog that does not stack up to the Aerosmiths and the Ozzy Osbournes, he puts on the better show every 100%. time, every time. And it is, this, it is seeing him live that really gets you to understand who he is, what he is. You know, Let Me Kill Meister, Ozzy Osbourne, all the greats have spoken at least in a sentence or two of you know, respect for what he can do with an audience and the experience that he gives to his crowds. And when you see him in those circumstances, it really changes your perspective on him. And then one more is when he does cover songs. And I remember going to him one day because I was just like blown away by some people's reaction because people would hear him sing a Zeppelin song and they'd be like, oh my God, D, I, I didn't know you could sing. <laughs> and that like, I was like, what? Fuck that guy. Like, like and I, I went to my dad, I was like, what is all this nonsense? Like, I didn't know you could sing until I heard you sing Highway to Hell. You know, and, and my dad said, you know, it's the bane of a lot of artists' existence that we do not write to our abilities. We write uh, what we think is right for us or whatever, but we don't actually like write to the top of what we can do. And it's not until somebody sees us do somebody else that they go, oh, wow, this was a choice you made? I didn't know that you could also do this. And when he told me that, it struck a chord with me big time. <laughs> and uh, I think this was... Also, right around the time where I had a life-changing experience at a, uh, a concert that uh, uh, Rich, uh, John Rich uh, threw at his house. Uh, you know, my father was one of like two dozen people who got up that night and performed. I think I had been asked if I wanted to. Uh, and I was just kind of like, you know, I didn't know anybody there. I was like, hey, it's all right. I'm just I'm visiting. It was the most humbling experience of my life watching just person after person, and each person just was spectacular in their own way. Uh, this country guy who wrote this song, and he, he, sang, he sang another story song that was a classic song, apparently, that I'd never heard, and then another one that he wrote. And what beautiful story he told. It just, just moved the hell out of me. And then there was this girl who got up, this blonde, skinny little thing, and she sang like I'd never heard anybody sing in my life. I mean, like I, I couldn't even describe it. The things she was doing with her voice it was incredible. And then this guy, Sinister, he got up and he got up with this dude, Cowboy Troy, who's a rapping cowboy. And they did this like medley all to, um, I think it was, um, um, oh, what's that? Very Superstitious. To Very Superstitious, they did Ball with the Ball, Ice Ice Baby, Can't Touch This, um, Fight for your right to party, like every freaking major cool hip hop song, and like put it together like nothing. Every single person went on this stage and blew me away in a different aspect, you know, of them. And I left that and the the conversation of my dad about like not writing to your abilities, and I just went, 
I am going to steal everything that was great about every single performer that I saw on this stage tonight. And I am going to be so much better for it. Like it went from being like, a, I'm not good enough to being like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to be as good as every single one of these and be better than all of them. And then the next person will have to learn from me. Um, because like, you know, and that's the thing. I, I really think this stage of the game, <clears throat> if you want to keep doing this independently and I do, um, I just, I don't like the system and I, I don't trust the system. And every time I came near it, they tried to homogenize me and dumb me down, get me to be more singular in my approach to things. And, uh, it's what's going on on the radio. You know, everybody's like, why don't we have good music? Well, we don't have good music because the people with the passion are being harvested too early, being given no power in the situation and then being dictated to and being turned to, you know, the, the best example that I have right now is if you see, uh, I kissed a girl, Katy Perry, if you see her on the, um, <laughs> on the America's Got Talent show, I just find that her personality that I've now gotten to know a little bit and the personality of her music have no connection whatsoever. None. Um, and that's a big problem. That's why we don't have great music because we don't have the passions of the people coming through. It's so easy to find a Justin Bieber when he's 13 and 14 and you put in a 13, 14 year old in a room with a bunch of older people who've been writing songs their whole lives. Who are they going to turn to? So now who's writing the song? Is it Justin Bieber who had a passion to do this? Or is it the asshole who's been writing for everybody else who's being flipped around and, you know, shared by all the same it's it's homo it's a homogenization of craft well and, and uh, technology by by creating you know digitizing everything and tuning everything it's taken away some of the the other interesting oh, yeah. facets of voices and and the just the whole device of that is oftentimes being used to our demise you can't tell anymore and it's so funny like so many of the artists that I see breaking through, they're my age. They're my age, and they're breaking through singing, singing songs about the experiences that I'm having, trying to feed your family and do what you love. Uh, you know, a band like Fun or Macklemore, <clears throat> you know, they just wouldn't go away. And at a certain point, <clears throat> their talent um, was able to break through, and they were able to get a certain amount of control over this this system but the system wants to control you it doesn't want you to control it and uh i've just kind of always known this intuitively and have largely stayed away from it and have tried to figure out ways to make music from the other side of things so that i can make money like i've been placing music with espn for a long time now and different um you know different companies wherever i get the opportunity so that i can make money doing music that way and i don't need a record label but I, I've really just kind of come to understand it's it's really their way or the highway in terms of getting any sort of audience. Um, because I've never been a corporate man, um, every little bit of promotion that you've ever seen with me has just kind of come and gone. You know, I did a big show, they promoted it, that was it, and then I was underground again. Uh, I was a part of this thing, it came and gone, and then I was underground again. And um, it's my nature. It's who I want to be. I don't want to be controlled. And I have things that I want to say. I chose music as a form of communication, not as a way to make myself look handsome. Uh, and that was actually a hard thing with me when I was younger because my mom was great at playing the game of like dressing the person up right to help them succeed. And her and I had kind of a 
quiet intellectual battle uh, that she didn't really know about, really, because I couldn't articulate it to her at the time. But it went a little something like, Mom, I think that this superficial aspect to art is ruining it. Um, and it's changing how people are perceiving the messages. And I'm not here to teach people how to be bright and shiny and commercial. I, I'm here to teach people to think for themselves and to know that the real power comes from within and to give people a piece of my power because I know that I have it. Uh, and by, by dressing myself up, in a certain way, I'm going to chameleon myself to look like everybody else, and I'm not everybody else. Such an interesting where there's that expectation and right thing, right time, wrong thing, right time, or right thing, wrong time. And it was a brilliant model for your dad, and she played a huge role in that and helping create that whole thing. I mean, they, uh, I mean, it's iconic, right? I mean, everybody oh, knows I that, but it's made, that was appropriate then. Twisted Sister has stood the test of time for two reasons and two reasons alone. One of them is my dad fighting for our rights, fighting the PMRC. Mm -hmm. That has given uh, Twisted Sister a real, incredible, wonderful piece of history. But the other part is my mom. She so cracked the code of the thing. Before. She was using the Power Rangers, uh, you know, thing that the, the captured so many children's minds, which it did with Twisted Sister as well. We're going to color coat all of these people. So we're going to empower them through color. And we're going to empower them by giving them their own individualization. But it's all within the same team. This has allowed Twisted Sister to be the go-to picture used to describe the 80s in an instance. Um, and that has kept Twisted Sister pictured everywhere. Uh, I should say there's a third thing too, which is really the um, the uh, anthemic, um, you know, unifying uh, nature of when I could take it and I want to rock. Uh, I wish that there were a few more of those that would break through into the stadiums, like you can't stop rock and roll and wake up the sleeping giant, because Twisted Sister had a lot more great hits. Um, Twisted Sisters, you know, really got their asses beat by the music industry in so many ways. And uh, if they had been handled different, if they had been able to handle themselves different, nobody would think of them as one-hit wonders, which tends to be how they're brought up these days. But um, it's Well, I would say also, I make my clients watch We Are Twisted F and Sister because oh, right. that is one of the most brilliant, like, examples of pushing through no matter what, creating belief. Yeah. When you yeah. have all the odds stacked against you, like yeah. uh, like the gift that is, and by the way, you know, obviously we, we know where you came from. You and, you know, your family have such strong fundamentals and foundations because of your parents. Like they, I mean, the fact that they are still so tight and still so together and I mean, it's just, it's brilliant. And yeah. It's that whole package that is so powerful that, you know, kind of gives, um, gives people hope. Well, that's the thing. You know, I don't like D uh, and Twisted being lumped into that glam band thing because the glam bands, I don't find much um, worth in Motley Crue's catalog. I mean, I like some Motley Crue songs. I mean, Kickstart Your Heart will get you going. Um, but, um, you know, for me, ideology, uh, ideologically, you know, as, as craft, 
um, you know, I feel that music is a tool and you can use it for good or you can use it for nothing or you can use it for bad. And Dee was a freedom fighter and, uh, you know, still is to this day. Everything that he said was about reminding you of what he knew that the power came from within him and mm -hmm. he had the right to choose his own destiny. And that is, you know, the most important thing. I mean, and, and they really, they deserve so much more credit than they, they're, they're due. And the, this is twisted fucking sister. It just really shows that in terms of what they were about was real stuff. It wasn't drugs and sex and alcohol. You know, these were people who just were determined to do something and did it. You know, it's very much like that great uh, I Am Dolomite movie that they made. What a great, inspiring story where you see the dude, he can't get support. And he literally just goes, well, I'll do it myself. And then success. And like every time he doesn't have to go, well, I'll do it myself. And Twisted Sister was the same way. You know, like, well, we'll do it ourselves. Well, we'll freaking rent out that amphitheater and you know, promote the show ourselves. And, and they did it over and over again until they succeeded. But I want to go back to what you said about, you know, the, the time with my mom and stuff, because I actually had the exact same experience. It was different for me, but, but similar. When I did Rock the Cradle, I was like, well, this is the moment. I was like, Mom, you can help me really, really do this up. Um, you know, I'm going to, if I, if I got to do cover songs, like I want to do them right. Let's, let's make this a thing. And if anybody who watched me on Rock the Cradle every week, um, you know, I, I think I had a pretty fucking good performance and it was mixed with a beautiful visual visualization to go along with it. Uh, whether it was something that came from my heart or it was something that was meant to complement the song, my mom helped me just like knock that shit out of the park. How much production was, was like on the show? Like uh, aside from that, was that all like you guys putting it together? Did they have yeah, like that was it, no? That was me and my mom awesome. only. Like every week, we would go down to Forgotten Saints, a few different places. We'd figure out approximately what we wanted to do, talk about it, figure it out. I mean, like the the week where I smashed the guitar, uh, the first conversation went, "Dad, I got an idea." So I'm thinking, I start out, we're not going to take it as a ballad, and then I smash the guitar. By the time we finish the conversation, my dad's like, all right, we'll be in on it with you. We'll go to the producers. We'll, we'll tell them we don't know, and we'll film it. And we'll make, we'll, so, like, the audience won't know what's going on. So we were playing the system, like, as producers, trying to make sure that what I did every week was interesting. Awesome. Um, which, was, which was why we thought we were going to be able to beat the system and win, but we should have known better. Um, <laughs> That was, it was never, I was never meant to win. They didn't want me to win. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's like a wrestling uh, like thing. Like uh, we already know who's yeah. going to win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, all you had to do is watch the show and you could see who the producers had chosen to win. Yeah. Um, and when I said, Hey, can Jesse do a charity thing this week? And they went, no, Crosby's doing a charity thing already. All right. So I can't do a charity thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the games that are being played. See charitable person asshole rocker uh, and of course my parents were calling them out on live television calling the producers out for how they were depicting me on the show it was very funny uh i'm sure that didn't endear me <laughs> to the producers either <laughs> so anyway when this all ended um i had a lot of opportunities and um i had a moral victory party because i came in second place and uh, I was at the Whiskey A Go-Go. I had Liberty Spikes in my head. You know, Liberty Spikes is like when you like, look mm -hmm. like a porcupine. Uh, shirtless, uh, you know, in leather pants and chains with my band baptized by fire. 
and we kicked ass and brought the house down. And uh, it was great. It was a great night. However, the business minded amongst the people, they had just seen me doing, playing this superficial game, the game that I had said to my mom, I was resisting playing. And when they saw me as I was, not as I was on the show, because mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to play original songs on the show, which was really messed up. I was trying to do it forever. We were supposed to be allowed to play original songs on the last episode. And last minute, they made it that only the winner would be allowed. And I believe that that was David Goffin attempting. He was the head producer. He was attempting to break me. He was hoping that when I lost the show, having not been able to play my own music, that he was going to be able to prove that I was the asshole rocker that he was trying to paint me as the whole show. Um, and uh, he never succeeded. I took a breath. I shook my competitor's hand, and I went off to my dressing room. And me and 30 people who came to see me from all across the country sat in silence for 10 or 15 minutes before my brother Cody literally went, holy shit, guys, we've been completely silent for the past 15 minutes. And that was the greatest compliment. Like for me, that was my victory dance. Every person who knew me and cared about me and watched what I did thought I deserved to win. And they were dumbfounded that I had lost. And that was the greatest compliment I'd ever received. Just everybody who cared was, was as hurt by my loss as I was. And, and that actually made it easy for me to be like, all right, I don't have to be hurt by this. This is just some stupid bullshit. And that is so huge. I mean, that is the key to like succeeding in any area is when like you can't change the fact that the show ended the way it did. It didn't. And when it ended that way, the the sales pitch for me was like, oh, Jesse could be a young Bon Jovi. And I don't I like Bon Jovi, but I don't like love songs, man. Like, I mean, the occasional love song, if you really got something good to say, it's wonderful. But um, you know, there are people who just make their careers on just talking about a lady over and over again. And I've never been that guy. Um, you know, there are so many things that we need to speak about on this planet. And, um, you know, I think love is pretty well covered by everybody else. So I'm just going to talk about some other shit until we start making some progress. And, uh, you know, hopefully through this i mean the time so we can you know talk temporally where we are right now you and i are for lack of a better word sort of stuck at home in quarantine because of covid and and all of this so interesting i wonder what kind of new energies musically will come out like you know we had in vietnam you know the 60s had all this you know songs with messaging against something um and for something right so underground movement needs underground music yeah and what's going to be really interesting is finding ways to navigate it because like you shared you know you got the 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 machine at work like i feel like we're in the matrix right now like not to go down that we are we are in the friggin' matrix it is it it is a um you know the it man's game um, if you're in, you're in, and if you're not, you're not going to be supported. It's so funny because when people finally listen to my music, they tend to go, why haven't I ever heard of you before? <laughs> and, and I, I love that compliment because like, as far as I'm concerned, that is the question. If you hear the quality of what I'm doing, 
why have I not been backed up and supported? It is a very worthwhile question. And the, the reality is just the system uh, and what the system is and what the system's designed to do. And, um, you know, half the people in the industry won't even bother to talk to me in the first place because they recognize that I know more than most people do. And, um, you know, they could just hope that all the children of celebrities just aren't very talented and they'll go away. Um, the ones who know what a contract is. Uh, <laughs> but I don't. I don't go away and I'm never going to go away. And, uh, you know, because it's about the conversation. And I can't say everything that I'm doing, you know, at the moment because, um, because some of the things, uh, you know, always work better as a surprise. But, um, but there's a bunch of things that I can say right now, you know, to anybody at home who's looking to, you know, do this stuff better. I mean, the album that I just put out is called uh, Come With Me If You Want to Live, which just came out on May 1st. I recorded uh, almost the entirety of that record um, through the internet with uh, Michael Naranjo, who's out in uh, South Africa right now. And um, he's a brilliant producer. Uh, you know, I, I literally recorded my melody and, and basic vocal. Bless me. Bless you. To a click. And uh, sent off to him. He would produce the tracks, send back to me. I'd go lay down a bunch of vocal passes, sent off to him. And um, in that fashion, we made a record. Um, I'm going to be doing that a lot more. And I think that that's going to be the thing that's going to be happening. You know, the internet is providing us a lot of ways to connect dots. And um, the unfortunate thing is. Uh, the social networking sites have just crushed um, accessibility. Like I do my sort of my professional, my, my personal Facebook is really my professional Facebook because I have no reach with 15,000 fans unless I put money into my Facebook. I have no reach whatsoever. With 5,000 on my personal Facebook, people see see what I post. So, you know, but I mean, I'm still only working in this little thing. I can't actually access my thousands unless I want to pump money into the, the social networking system. And I don't want to do that. So, uh, you know, the, these, these networks should have a certain amount of natural reach and they don't. And then even the new ones that come up, um, which do seemingly have a natural reach, they don't either because they're filled with bots and people who aren't people. So really the, the next stage of things, and I'm sure it's happening as we speak, is going to be um, newer um, websites that have a mind for freedom and free speech and allowing natural, um, uh, a natural sort of sharing of information. Uh, I believe that we're in the death throes of YouTube and Facebook right now because they are censoring information and they are censoring information willy-nilly. Uh, you know, you could make an argument against a thing or two that I've seen censored. And then there are other ones that I could sit here and I could make really long, passionate arguments about why they should never have been removed and how irresponsible it is that Facebook thought that they should be the one to choose what information. You literally have people who are they're to share information with their friends and their family, and they're being stopped from doing it for the presumably responsible Facebook. I mean, it's really ridiculous. And for Facebook to use their 
metric for what medicine is. Um, when we are living in a world where 50% of us are not so sold on that uh, you know, traditional corporate medicine and are looking at holistic approaches. And those sort of attitudes do not subscribe um, exactly to the science that is on display. The science on display in America shows a lack of understanding for Eastern medicine, Eastern ideas about the body and what we are. Um, and, and, you know, to, to get into it in the smallest fashion for people who don't understand what I mean, we are all batteries. We are all um, electromagnets, essentially, with a you know, top pole and a bottom pole. Our body is larger than just the physical body we see. We have an energetic field that extends outside of our body. This energetic field is hugely important. It is, it is the idea behind the body. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's a false question because they're giving you two answers and neither one of them are right. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? The idea for the chicken comes first. We are surrounded by the idea for the human. And it is this electrical system that is, when it gets in disarray, affects our body and affects our minds, affects our experience. Knowing that, you can start to actually treat what's going on. The American medical system is treating the symptoms of the dysfunction within your system. And they're not only, they're not even treating the symptoms so much as they're covering the symptoms up. Well, you know I what? think in, in many cases, they're actually exasperating the symptoms and making that it even worse. And, you know, now look, there are some very, like the, there's a saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So I believe there are some very well-meaning doctors and people They're who all, are using faulty information and a faulty yeah. belief structure as the filter, and then that is propagated through Facebook, YouTube, all and the censorship. The nefarious bit here is, and, and, and let me, I'll use an example. My father has a friend of his who's into tattoos. He's a very rich, powerful guy. So this guy decided that he was going to buy the tattoo schools, and he was going to buy the tattoo gun manufacturers, and he was going to buy the tattoo magazines. And now he could control the entire world of tattooing because one man was controlling intellectually what was going on with all of them. Now we have a real problem in the medical industry because people who have no interest in our health, people who recognize the great money that there is to be made in the health industry. And that's as far as you have to go with thinking of them as nefarious. I happen to think that it might even be worse than that. But the people who have a lot of money to be made own the schools that are teaching the mm -hmm. doctors. They own the companies that are writing the textbooks. They are the people deciding what is being taught. And if they don't want the doctors of today and tomorrow to know anything about nutrition, they're not going to know anything about nutrition. And that is the case. Most doctors spend maybe a half a semester or a semester at most studying nutrition, if at all. And totally. this is and a problem. We, we, all the old wives' tales, you know, we, we, we don't listen to them because there's so many. There's so many because there's different women all over the planet who have been in different areas where certain things weren't available. So when you go and look for a thing that helps you with this, you're going to find a lot.
because the old wives are all over the place and they've been finding things that had a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Well, and like using the example, the COVID as an example is I'm in Florida where it's sunny all the time. It's pretty warm out all the time. So people can go outside. We have, you know, the, the states like this seemingly have a lower incidence of it because we have a different environment. So there's going to be, just like you said, different treatments for different areas just simply because of the ecosystem that it occurs in. Like you, Florida doesn't have a snow, uh, a snow clearing budget because it doesn't snow here. Exactly. We are one planet and one consciousness, but we are all living very different experiences. And we cannot just one size fits all. One size doesn't fit all. It doesn't. So, you know, and it's unfortunate what has happened to the medical community, but unfortunately, our doctors do not know what we're talking about. The, and, and some of them do, you know, the, the wise ones, they end up going into different uh, specialities. And, you know, there are, it, it's like, you know, I like to talk about the police, you know, people who become police officers, not all of them are scumbags. However, the ones who really care about the thing, they tend to go beyond being a police officer. They did this for a reason and they want to help. So they keep moving up through the ranks. However, the ones who just did it because they just wanted to be a cop, because they like the idea of being a cop, they just stop right there. And not and if the motivation is, oh, I only have to do it for 20 years and then I get my pension and then I don't have to work anymore. It's a very different mindset. And all of those people are motivated in a progressive way of thinking. They're just doing the thing that they're doing and some of them aren't necessarily the right, the, the right people for the job. And similarly to the medical field, you know, the people who are just doing the mainline thing that's because they felt all right with the mainline thing. And unfortunately, there's a lot more to learn. And, you know, there's, there's another important thing that I want to say, because, it, you know, it took me a moment of, you know, I'm a big reader, I re- read a lot. Um, and it took me a moment before I, it kind of dawned on me, what a big gap that we put between ourselves and these people, you know, like, oh, he's a doctor, oh, he's a lawyer. Uh, Yes, I understand that they know something, uh, something about something that we don't understand. But they're just a human being, just like you. Well, that's, and, uh, we talked about that language. Like, they aren't yeah. doctors, they're lawyers. They are humans that practice medicine or practice law. Yeah. And, and the idea goes both ways. It's, it's so easy sometimes to make ourselves feel small and then to go, oh, the big doctor, he knows the thing. Um, and meanwhile, you can go get three different opinions and get three completely different opinions. I mean, it just constantly happens. I mean, people who like to get opinions, that's a real sure way to take you off the mainstream medical, <laughs> medical practice because you'll just see such a range of opinions. Well, actually, um, I mean, yeah. as you bring that up, such an interesting, because I brought that up when people have chosen sides on this COVID thing. And I've always taken the position of, well, why aren't we having this conversation like we would if I was told I had cancer? Like, I want different opinions. What, like, why is that one or that one the exclusive? And why can't we have the, just ask the question? Like, I'm just curious, like, are, is there another way to look at this? The idea of there being a pinnacle of anything 
is is completely wrong you know and they put that in us with like we're a plus students or an f student that's that's unfortunate that you're an a plus student because i'm an infinite being capable of infinite thoughts at any time and well, not only moment, that then that gets into learning styles and all of that like i yeah. you know, i'm a kinesthetic but, learner i need to do it so sitting in school i was like uh hold on let me ask a question and they're like you're disruptive Yes. And if there are infinite ways to live, then there are infinite ways to learn. There are infinite ways to do any given thing. Mm -hmm. So how should I handle COVID-19? I don't know. It's up to you. But if we were having more of a conversation about this, people would know some more possibilities and some ways that they could approach handling this thing. Sorry, I got a phone call. That okay. came in. Um, but, um, you know, if we were having that conversation, like you were saying, then there would be options on the table and everybody could choose the ice cream that they liked. What's happening here is a chocolate is best. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's just, it can't, it, it's not my way or the highway. I don't make choices based on, uh, peer pressure and bullying. And that's what's going on right now. And anybody who wants to say anything different of like, well, you know, so-and-so saying this, shut up and just go with the flow. I'm like, no, I don't. Well, and, and that's the thing too, which is really interesting right now. And it, it's really unfortunate that just posing the question is like, you want people to die. You want to, you know, so, oh, you wouldn't be saying that. And, and I'm like, I, what are you talking about? The, like, so, so I came from, yeah, after working with Tony, I went on the road, like, like I was on the road with Tony Robbins and then got recruited to a drug and alcohol treatment center. And when this whole thing started, Heidi and I, having been in the trenches with people struggling with addiction and understand how people respond to stress, we were like, this is going to be a problem. I, so this is an addict's nightmare or dream, depending on what stage they're in, the isolation, the stress, the, you know, now the people, the, so relapses are skyrocketing, suicides are skyrocketing. And when someone says, uh, excuse me, you know, there are more suicides in the last three weeks than there were yeah, COVID deaths. People locked in homes and abusive relationships. People are so myopic in the way that they're looking at this situation. And while you're saving the elderly, um, you're letting uh, people in their prime um, fall apart. Um, well, and I would, I would agree with that. In, but, and I'm, say, I'm not disagreeing. Is that I mean, it's, in, I, 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 they put all the people in the, elderly, in the, old, like in the nursing like, homes? Exactly. Well, then that's the thing, too. They're the ones best suited to be you know, staying at home, most of them were already staying at home. Why do they brought it in? Questions? They used the, that place to, to, instead of using the hospitals in New York that were, were put there, they put them in the nursing homes. And then it's really like, oh, that may not have been the best idea. Yeah, because you wouldn't let anyone go, excuse me, you think that's a good idea? F you, you want people to die. Like, no, actually, we're just having a conversation. And all of the virtue signaling on the Democratic side of things, all of this, I mean, I hate it on the Trump side of things, too. You know, like, I know why everybody's doing it, like, and, and so many people think that, like, ha, 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 and they're just, like, past it because everybody else is being such dicks to them. Um, but, I mean, really, like, the, we, we can't be virtue signaling um, these politicians. They're all just human beings. We need to be looking at what they're doing and their actions, their deeds, that is it. Talk about that shit. I don't want to hear about what Trump said and how he said it unless there is a bill that is being passed in relation to it directly and the words that he said are in it.
You know, like we, we're being so easily distracted. And this is the, the you know, we're, we've lost trillions of dollars. 9-11 happens. We never talk about that again. This is the way that really important things happen right under our nose and we don't even know about it. Well, and, and those, those that things have been passed. Other. Yeah, they're passing stuff while we're all fighting and arguing and they're, you know, like, again, I'm not picking sides politically. This should not be a political conversation. But what's happening is, is that the people who benefit from it being a political conversation are keeping it so, so that they can then use it to manipulate the system. And, it, you know, it's crazy. I think I said this the other day on, my, on one of my Facebook lives, but if nobody heard me, you know, it's really important. We have to realize that the, the, the universe is not vexing us on purpose. The, there, there is no plot to piss you off. Um, racism, though it seems like it has a, you have a, a, you know, a, a, uh, an iron in the fire, um, you don't necessarily. It's just an idea. And we don't have to battle that idea as if it's clear and present and in front of us. And if we do, eventually we will have to battle that idea because this is, we are energetic beings. We are attracting different energies. If we want to save the world the best way, we stand in firm opposition to the things while never being affected directly by them, by knowing that the person in front of me is a hurt person. And the only reason why they have any ability to hurt me is because they've been hurt in this way. And their hurt is not me. I didn't hurt them. And it has nothing to do with me. We have to be able to get to a place of neutral intelligence so that we can have these tough conversations and let them progress and not fall into a puddle of, oh no, do you know what might happen? If all of a sudden the crazy people in this world thought that like things were bad, they might go crazy. Um, and if things are bad and nobody knows about it, what's the result then? Um, for me, I'd rather take the risk that some of the people who are a little bit more high strung among us might go overboard than, and, and actually I believe that their fucking fear and reasonable autonomy desire We'll stop them from doing that and keep it to an intellectual conversation. But well, that's such a, an interesting point. Is that, that yeah, is that there's, there's an energy that's starting to come like, you don't know what's good for you. We do. We're smarter than you, you poor thing. Uh, yep. Let us take care of you. And unfortunately, and, and so here's a, and the worst thing that ever happened, I think, for us as a society recently has been the demonization of the successful. So what happens is, is that when someone is successful, and then there's a thing in uh, psychology called conforming bias, which means mm -hmm. basically anything that you believe, you will then conform, you'll run through a filter to make it go to that. So if I believe that, you know, a rich person or a particular party or a particular color or particular anything is bad, I'm going to look for evidence of that to conform to that bias. And, and then put, put the thing in that box, which is my safety box, 
which right. makes me not look at the thing. Oh, you're a communist, you know? And, um, and it's so funny, you know, like what communism means to a 17 year old in this country and what communism means to a 60 year old who's looked at the historical, in it. Um, way, yeah, the way this has been rolled out has, you know, and essentially you go, sounds like a good idea, but it's always being used by people who are terrible. Um, you know, the, the reality is that we are living in a system that um, has a lot of clicks within it. And it's very obvious to see, and these clicks are a little bit more complex than the clicks you find in high school. And the people on the outside of this click system seeing that, it's very easy for them to demonize them all. I run into that all the time. I'm not a part of this system at all. You know, like, I mean, I've been struggling pretty good for the past, you know, bunch of years because I've just been dealing with real life stuff. You know, me and my um, uh, high school sweetheart have been getting a divorce and, um, you know, two rents and like all this stuff. I don't, I'm not turning to dad for money. And, you know, I, I never expected that. And, you know, that's, I don't, I'm not part of this system where I'm constantly being rewarded. I'm an independent contractor who does a lot of different things. And, um, it's up to me to take care of myself, but to be perceived as one of the men, one of the lucky ones in the system, people people will automatically kind of go, "Oop, not you." Um, it's funny. I reached out to a um, like an underground news person uh, a couple of weeks ago who I just liked their stuff, and uh, honestly, I wanted to add. I, I wanted to tell the person that that they should add a little bit of spirituality to what they're talking about because what they're talking about is so heavy that like, you know, the, it's, it's basically gives, it's giving all the power away to the few people who may be controlling various things in, in crappy ways. When really the power is within us, we are creating our own realities individually every single day. It appears like we're in this forced collective of things that are happening to all of us at once, but it's not really the case. Um, you know, it, reality is much different and more flowing than we have ever given it credit for. Uh, and we have molded ourselves into a collective thing of stories we've been telling ourselves, the, the, the paths we've been wanting to go. Um, but because of the nature of consciousness, literally anything that you view as good could be viewed as bad by somebody else. And if it's viewed as bad by them, then it will hurt them. If it's viewed as good by you, it will make you healthy and it will make you good. The stories, the placebo effect is running rampant um, on all of our minds all the time um, across the board. So it's really like you always got to, you know, if it doesn't serve you to demonize the medical system because the medical system is helping you and you're doing great, well, then great, continue, do great. But if it's not working, you got to find the thing that's going to work for you. And there's plenty of reasons why these things might not work for you. And it does come down to the fact that every medicine, every treatment is sort of a placebo um, possibility. You know, once it works, now it could work again and it could work again based on how we feel about it. These are the things that are largely happening 
behind the scenes in our science when we're testing different things. It is so affected by how the experimenters felt about it, how the people they brought in felt about it. How we feel is such a huge determining factor in the results that we get. And when we start to really understand that this information is true, it really unravels everything that we're looking at right now. And I believe that that's where we need to be. We need to be unraveling all of this so that we can look at it again and maybe see if we can come up with some better plans um, that would you know, fall in better alignment with what the actual reality of our situation is and not keep playing this you know, two plus two is four, bang, 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 hammer, 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 because that's what we do. We just kind of hammer things. We don't look into the complexity of what a thing may be. Right. And like the two plus two does equal four, but sometimes four is not the number we need. Exactly. You keep doing the, the same thing. And it's so interesting you say about the emotions, like we are, everything is emotion. But wait a second. Think about two plus two equals four. How do we know it's a plus? We got the two and we got the two. And that's the thing. They're like, oh, two plus two equals four. Well, what if it's divided? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that's going down another divided. interpretation but, of the thing. Well, this right. is what I'm saying. Like, we have the pieces of information. It seems so simple to the person who all they know how to do is add things up. But you go but you can also do this and you can play this game with the numbers and this game with the numbers. It's not, nothing is as simple as you well, want to make it up. And to that point, and this is, you know, kind of what you touched on earlier. Um, you know, we, we think that doctors and, and we should believe that doctors took the Hippocratic oath and, and do no harm and all of that. And let's, let's say, pardon? That their heart is in the right place. Yeah. And hospitals are not run by doctors. Oh, no, not at all. And, so, and even think, about, think about the people who you've worked with in any business you've ever worked in. Whose personality was the personality that became the manager? It wasn't the artist. <laughs> no, no. You've got to think the people who like to run the things, and they don't care as long as the, they're the boss on some level. So the other boss comes to them because they're good at being subordinate because that's how they got the position in the first place. And now they get to be the boss of the other people. These are people who that's their whole thing is just passing down. Oh, you know, order. and another thing, which, which I, I saw pretty quickly um, and it's eased up because the rules aren't as tight here in Florida as they are. I know up by, you know, in New York. Um, I saw it though happen. I was like, people are being put like staff members are being put in a position of authority that they've never had before and they've not been trained on. So now you have like cashiers like yelling at people for not staying in the box or not and, and like not wearing their mask. Right. Yeah, for, for whatever it is, but their leadership qualities are horrible, but they're following the rules, but doing it rather poorly. And so the customer service then becomes, and that's not even going down another chat on why, why can't, why can we go to Walmart, but we can't go to the, you know, the local, you know, uh, mom and pop. The, store. We walked into the pet store one day and they had a greeter set up you know, to like demand that you put your mask on just, just as the thing was happening. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, who works at the pet stores? Animal lovers, not good with people. No. <laughs> I mean, like, cause we wanted to like punch this lady in the face. She was just so like, and then we went to go ask her some questions and she was so put off to help us in the store 
And I'm assuming it's because she was put off to be the greeter, which she wasn't a good greeter in the first place, to be in the front of the store. She's been asked to do something that she's not right to do. And she's doing a bad job doing and it. And she's getting the feedback yeah. from that. So she's feeling yeah, she's even worse. Getting, she's getting energetic feedback and people going, fuck this lady. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then you try to ask her some questions about the store. And she's like, I don't want to help anybody. I have to do this thing I don't want to do. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, I just wish that people were more aware. You know, just so many people are so unconscious. And, and that's really the thing. And well, it's the time of being unconscious is over. We all have to start to evaluate a little bit better what's well, going on, what we're here's doing. Here's the thing, too, that I agree is, is that um, have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you forgot what you were arguing about, but all you knew is that you were right, right? <laughs> now people are double downing on whatever their position is because they don't want to go, oh, my gosh, this was a, a gigantic F up. There's no, inf and there's no information. They will literally just go. <laughs> I just, I like, it's just like the automatic, what they call cognitive dissonance. But it's funny though. It's emotional dissonance though too. That too. But everybody's doing it on both sides. Like right. they're, they're each calling each other cognitively dissonant. And it's funny because they're all kind of being cognitively dissonant in, in both ways because the, like the real hardcore Trump supporters, they don't want to, they basically don't feel like it's their job to, to have any conversations with, with anybody else. And they're, people are trying to get into nuanced conversation with them. That's like, say like the, the democratic standpoint. And I think the Republicans could be making ground having a reasonable conversation, but they don't. <laughs> and similarly, the Democratic people, when faced with real cutting information that says, mm -mm, not everything is what you see, they don't have that conversation either. They marginalize it to Trump supporters. And, um, you know, it's like Trump has been demonized as an idiot, but many of the centrists um, are right there with what the pocket outliers are saying about real, um, you know, the possibility of real subterfuge, the likes of which we cannot begin to understand. And to everybody who's trying to have that middle conversation of, well, no, we should better know this, they're getting lumped into the Trump thing. Right. And I'm like, dude, I, like, I posted a dissertation about how I really did not approve of that man's overriding principles before he was elected. I'm like, I don't have to fucking virtue signal that I'm not a Trump supporter every single time something happens. I am a Trump supporter in that he's our president, and I hope that he is able to do whatever is the right things to yeah. do. I know whoever's president support, we, we want him to do well. Yeah, I want it to go well. <laughs> I want things to go well. Other than that, he's just a guy like any other. You know, I supported Barry up into the point where he was fucking invading seven countries up into the point where he allowed an, a huge investigation that was going on in freaking Iran or Iraq um, to divert it to the Trump-Russia investigation, which has been shown to be freaking frivolous and nothing. We had real people under the gun. We had uh, intelligence agencies saying, you are setting us back years and years with real intelligence on real bad guys, and you are letting them go right now. You're setting a, a signal to the, to the terrorist community 
that the United States is soft and we're not going to freaking get these guys and stop them. And that was happened in the name of stupid, uh, you know, smearing Trump. And they would have gotten away with it if freaking Trump hadn't been put into office. This stuff cannot be going on. If they have the ability to do that, they have the ability to do other things that they should not be doing. And this is treason. I want to see a few people get executed for treason so that this stuff does not happen. We are not in a democracy. We live in a republic. And it has to be honored. It's just absurdity the way they are playing us. And, and now the system has played them so well that they are so polarized that they can't have the conversation with the people in the middle. And yet, tell you what, they've got another four years of Trump coming if they don't understand and change their ways as a party to conversate with the people in the middle. Because the people in the middle, we're like, we'll ride it out with these Trump SOBs and see how it goes. Because we don't like the conversation you're having. And who have you just put forth for us? Joe Biden? How tone deaf can you be? I, there, I, I got nothing because I, I'm... I, I play less on that level because local politics is way more important. Than, You're right. And that's where people lose sight of what's going on. They're so worried about who's like up there, but they have less influence than your local politicians. And that's the lowest turnout, the lowest awareness. And that's I play the same game. actually made. Hey, and how are we ever going to get a third-party candidate into the White House until we've got a third-party candidate who is majorly supported on the grassroots in one of our wonderful states and brought up to a place where people know who they were and were given a chance to show their altruism and their ability to do good things? And then we've got somebody in the running in the independent market who could stand a chance to win. Well, you I know, think it totally starts in local What we turn that around is if we had term limits. Because then the people who, and there should be term limits for everything, the people who are in there would be actually writing laws and supporting yeah. efforts and initiatives that would set them up when they leave in the private sector, not because they are basically lobbying to stay in power. But the... Absolutely. You know, and the money, you know, that's the biggest thing. You know, if we could get money out of politics tomorrow, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't greatly change things overnight. But that is the beginning. Once the money's out and now the argument can be made that people are being bribed in different ways and now we're literally going, no, this is a problem. We don't want there to be any financial anything in this game, you know, and we can be holding people to that standard. Um, I mean, really, the biggest problem for me and the biggest problem like with the Democratic Party has been that they don't hold their people to... Um, to any long-term standards. Um, and I mean, the Republican Party is guilty of doing this too sometimes, but they tend to be a little bit better at like biting their politicians when they are misbehaving. But like, we will let people get away with things over and over and over again. And the Democratic Party just like goes, nah, no big deal. Well, growing up, so I, I like you, I, I grew up, I was a Democrat probably because I also in the music in, industry, I entertainment, lead, I everybody lead is. Most of my life. Yeah. And, and there's no judgment. I'm a common sensitive now. I, I'm a registered independent. I can't do primaries. I do my best to go, okay, what makes sense to me? But the, that conversation of like, 
choosing sides is like, I mean, growing up, I always thought conservatives were a bunch of, you know, like idiots because the liberal, you know, the Democrats were all cool. And I'm like, this isn't about being cool. Like what makes sense? And sometimes I, you know, as parents, sometimes we're not going to be the cool parent. Sometimes we're going to be like, sorry, you can't do whatever. You're not, I'm not letting you do whatever because it's just, you know, like our daughter wants to watch Chucky, like Child's Play, the movie. Like she's five. Like, no, it's just not appropriate. Right. My eight year old is obsessed with horror. I I showed him one of the Chucky's. (laughs) At what age? (laughs) He's eight. No, at eight, (laughs) not at five. Yeah, at eight. Yeah, so eight is his fair age, I guess. But but point being is that there's going to be times when there is a natural inclination to be less cool because that's what you believe in. The the blue collar, the middle class blue collar business owner um, has been what I came to identify pretty clearly as your typical Republican. Um, like even like my real a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Sean O'Malley, who uh, runs. Um, the uh, food paradise. I do food paradise for travel channel and you know, he's running his own business and the, the minor fluctuations in how the Democrats go about trying to pay for so many of their things. They don't take money from the tippy top. They end up just kind of taking money from the center and really, really hurting the smaller businesses. Um, the, the small businesses have seen this for a long time and they have just leaned towards the people who are don't don't come anywhere near my business and how I'm doing my business. Every time you add in some little thing, it gets that much harder for mm-hmm. me to do this well. And like I saw my, um, you know, my uh, ex-wife's father, who I adore, uh, Paul, he's got his own business and he is, uh, what a great employer he is. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, all personalities are different personalities, you know, but if you can, if you like Paul's personality and I do, he is a really great, um, uh, you know, what, what's the word community leader. Uh, you know, he's somebody that recognizes that the, his employees have families and, uh, and tries to do the best that he can do for them. Um, looking at, the things that he has. And so often what he was doing would have to change because things would come down and he wouldn't be able to do what he was doing anymore because they changed the rules. And then he would have to go and do something new to watch his own ass essentially because of how they were trying to force him to do things that he was already doing himself in better ways. So like there are good employees who will just naturalistically do these things and we mandate these things to be, be a thing. Um, you know, it doesn't really end up hurting the at and of the world because they're being, so, uh, so, you know, what, what's subsidized. the word? Get subsidized in so many other different fashions that it's the only people who get hurt are these smaller businesses. Well, and- that's so interesting about what's going on right now is like politics aside, businesses, small businesses cannot, this is not sustainable. I'm not picking sides when I say these small businesses like can't stay under, you know, under this situation. I'm a comic book writer. I'm a huge member of the, you know, comic book community. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I publish, you know, things of my own. Um, and comic book stores were struggling before this. 
they were really struggling. We, we have comic book shop watchers on all of like the mainline geek culture websites where it's like, this company's raising money because they're about to go out of business or this company's going out of business. Support them any way you can. They've been in business 60 years, Jan and Stan Levenstern, and now they, they can't make it anymore. This um, period of time, it could potentially take out the entirety of the comic book industry. We, we are all mom and pop stores. There is no corporate anything within us. Um, even Diamond Comics Distributors is essentially a monopoly um, that they have with these stores. Um, it's one of the terrible things about a monopoly. One falls and everything falls. And that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, there, you know, comic books will continue and all these things will continue as they have in, been doing so in different fashions. But I mean, boy, is it going to be a different world? And I posted that the other day. I said, hey, look, you know, while we are trying to save whoever we're trying to save through these measures that we're taking, what about the small businesses? Do we want to live in a world with no small businesses? I don't know about you, but those are my favorites. Those are the businesses that I try to frequent as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even, you know, as, as a, um, a proud um, pot smoker, um, you know, all the head shops, uh, you know, and granted, I'm sure they're all figuring out ways to hang on. And I'm sure everybody is right now figuring out ways to hang on. And I do believe that we are smarter than this and that we will survive and we'll, we'll figure it out no matter what nonsensical mandates may be put upon us. But it is a real thing. And the fact that people are not more concerned with that, like, oh, no, it's as long as Target survives, we're cool. Like, I mean, I like Target as much as the next guy, but I see the tyranny. Well, 70% of the businesses in America are small or were small businesses. And that is a huge, huge sector. And unfortunately, if they go, all you're going to have is big corporate and big government control. Because then the next thing is going to be, well, I guess in order to help everybody, we've got to expand these big stores, these big box stores so that we could give people jobs and then lose out on all the creativity, all of the nice little nuances basically turn, you know, every kind of cool little town into a Simon strip mall, you know, which is whatever. Like I, I have no issue with those things, but it's that balance, right? How do we keep that balance of, you know, the, that curiosity, that adventure, the, the thinking outside the box and really the space to be able to do so and to be able to challenge the status quo and go, okay, here's a situation, but we need to be equipped with the tools to be able to recreate or, or reinvent. Space is, is really key. You know, I, I mean, I've said that for a little while now about um, concerts and um, you know, <laughs> what I've realized about why modern, modern concerts tend to suck. Um, and it's because they're doing a terrible job of creating space because it's the last thing on their minds um, they're trying to control the space and in controlling the space, they haven't created any space. They just create, um, sort of the vestigial pieces of a prison. And, um, and that is really my call right now, you know, is that we must all be given the space that we 
need as individuals to protect ourselves from COVID the way that we feel comfortable doing so, to move forward uh, with the world the way we feel doing so. Uh, and anything that is going to come in between us and our ability to choose, like Facebook right now, uh, YouTube, um, this is tyranny. Um, if we want to go crazy and come up with all sorts of nonsense about lizard people or whatever other things that anybody wants to think of, that the earth is flat, it is our prerogative. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, and and just because people disagree doesn't make them bad people. It's no, okay to have a differing opinion. And by the way, I haven't spoken to any flat earthers, but I'd love to just hear their philosophy about it and why they think it's so. It just be I'm just curious. Well, hey, I, I've I've gone down that path, and the thing that I'll tell you is, it's the same thing with every conspiracy theory. There's just a lot of interesting kind of facts that when you look at them, you go, well, that's interesting. What does that mean? And I don't necessarily think that it means the earth is flat. It could. Uh, it doesn't, there's a lot of things that suggest that the earth isn't flat, but there are some very interesting pieces of information that you can go look at and you go, this is interesting. And for me, it's always been, I just want better answers to every question like that. Hey, you know, these flat earthers have found a pretty a couple pieces of information that I find very intriguing. Can you give me a proper explanation for this? That right. and not call them crazy. That. Be like, yeah. interesting, cool, okay. <laughs> that you believe that, and if that serves you, awesome. It's not hurting me. And that, that's where the argument with the whole thing. Well, you know, if you don't wear a mask or if you don't do this, you're affecting me. But even that information is is conflicting. So there's yes. not even enough empirical data to show anything is the case. It, it's, it's really, I mean, yeah, really, that conversation is so murky and that is why they are, they are succeeding at quieting the conversation because it is such a complex subject to really, when you really start to look at the COVID thing and really what is going on, what they have found, what they haven't found, what they're testing for, which isn't exactly covid it's susceptibility to covid there's a whole bunch of weird pieces of information well, and, and then i don't know have you seen the uh contract uh, contact tracers that whole thing they're starting to hire oh yeah 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 I, I didn't watch anything deep into it but i saw a friend posting well i mean they're they're hiring them now oh yeah and that is a little nerve wracking where you go, well, wait a minute, based on what information? And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I posted someone, the Ventura, the governor of Ventura or whatever, Mayor Ventura said something along the lines of, we'll be able to come take you out of your house kind of thing. You know, because if you don't yeah, have that's enough been said a whole bunch of times, um, but I've not seen any evidence of it. Not in, so like, but, so, but here's to me a bunch of times, like people have shared that with me. I've seen no evidence of it so far. Oh, and I actually, been. every time I see it, I, I post on my thing, like in Oklahoma, I saw a post about that. And then I posted, anybody who lives in Oklahoma, let me know if anything like this is going on. Right. It hasn't started yet. Yeah. So I guess the only thing is, again, this isn't a conspiracy theory, but you know, toll, toll booths were supposed to be temporary. Like, so, like, the, there's certain things you go, well, okay, I, I get it. I, I understand Income your intentions, but what are we buying into? Huh? Is it 
it was isn't it income tax was supposed to be temporary as well yeah. they put it on for world war ii and then they never took it away and it's literally written into the law that it was supposed to be taken away and there have been people who have been trying to sue the government saying you never took this away and you were supposed to but since the irs is a private company <laughs> conversation over yeah so it's I mean, just well and by the way also done. look I, I'm, this isn't, I don't want to politicize that conversation, but like Roe v. Wade, what is, what is the, the energy behind the, the, the justices and, and all of that? They're fearful that something will be overturned. Ergo, we have to stop prematurely something that could maybe happen, right? Yeah. So, and I, look, I'm, I, I'm okay with someone having that viewpoint. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, if you have that argument, why can't we also have that argument? What you're doing right now, the evidence of the pathway is something that, at least a question, where's the out? Where's the... And that's that, that's that hyper-liberalized thing where you're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, I, I know enough Republicans at this point who I know are, hey, look, I believe in somebody's right to choose, but can we make it more reasonable? And I mean, when, when, the, when the other side is coming to a reasonable standpoint and calling for reason, for you to stand there and go, nope, because I know what you might do with my reason. I mean, come on, guys, we have to, we have to walk it to the middle. We can't just leave it polarized in one direction or another. It's, it's very disappointing is really the thing because it's, it's the people in the middle who are, are suffering from the consequences of this polarization. Because based on someone's confirmation bias, they're going to decide what side you're on because if you lean one way, you're automatically in that camp. Or if you lean the other, you're automatically in that camp. The, the biggest spiritual lesson that I've come to, and this is, this is kind of a... Oh, uh, I don't know. It's a little weird when I like talk about it, but if you can see, like, a, say my nose is right in the middle, right? We do this thing where we we have like a five stages of understanding. We start out polarized wherever we wherever we polarize. Either we are like really extreme viewpoint of yes, really extreme viewpoint of no, a slight viewpoint of yes, or a slight viewpoint of no, and then from there we experience the gauntlet. We decide we, our little no is a big no. Then we smash our face into, oh, well, it's not always no, I guess. And then we wind up in like a little yes. Then we wind up on a big yes. And then we're like, no, this is why I said no in the first place. <laughs> and then we finally end up in a balanced place where we're like, oh, this is good, but sometimes can be bad. But isn't the devil, but isn't, ice cream. It's in the middle, you know, and, and that's where we have to get with all these political things. We have to recognize that the other side is there and they're not wrong. They're just, just like us and they're having their experience and we're not wrong. So the right answer isn't my answer or their answer. It must be somewhere in between because they exist and I exist. Well, and, and they're we also appropriate contextually for that person at that time. And, right, and and one of the things that, um, you know, like Heidi and I, my wife Heidi, uh, one of the things we talk about a lot when we talk about relationships 
is the best way to ensure success is assume the best of each other. Yeah. If you, as soon as you take that out and you now make this person wrong or have ill intent or, or they're doing it to be whatever, now we're in a different conversation. And look, we could go down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and, and some maybe some darker nefarious stuff, but at the end of the day, the average person doesn't need to go down that path. All they need to do is go, okay, does this make sense? Like I'm, I, I use the example, like I'm a, I don't belong to the NRA but I am a licensed gun owner. I, in, Man, in New York, I had a license in New York. But the NRA is not going, hmm, let's see if we can kill people with the guns. Like, that's not what they're saying. They're saying- No, they ideology that is that, that the right to bear arms is a requirement to maintain freedom, to keep nefarious forces honest. And right. it is. I, and I don't, you know, I don't have a, a you know, a, a, a gun you know thing or whatever like and i won't ever and that's um, fine but, but the people who that, it's the, the people who, who who and that is their right and i do not fault them for thinking so right just and so but the people who say take the guns away i believe their intent for the most part the average person is the same they want protection yeah. they want safety but because they don't understand guns and all of that it's easier to say no guns for anybody because then we can create a completely insulated safe world, which is impossible. And, and that's that weird conversation that no one, you know, if I go outside and I'm not wearing a mask, it's not because I want to infect somebody else. It's because I, my model of the world is I'm going to keep a safe distance. I wash my hands. I do all of that, but I'm, I'm not going to be breathing on you or sneezing on you. Yes. I'm respecting you as much as I can within my own freedom, and then I'm going to go and live my life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's how it should be. Um, and if we were all respecting each other the right way, that's how it would be. But, um, you know, unfortunately, we're living in this bullying world right now. Um, and uh, you know what, though? I really believe that it's going to take its course. And yeah. that uh, it, the, the, I, I cannot imagine that the, the freshly made bad guys of the world are going to see themselves as the hero for much longer. Um, you can only go around yelling and shouting at everybody and talking down to everybody for so long before you start to recognize that you're the problem. Well, what's interesting is how this happened and, and uh, is that I, th I think part of this also is as we, in the last 30 years or so, child rearing has changed drastically. Yeah. And the parents are older for the most part and they're wanting to get it right. And they're a lot more protective of the, their children in some sense, you know, like I remember growing up, you know, I'm a little older than you. Like I don't have to wear a helmet riding a bicycle or any of that kind of stuff. There was, there was none of that. I our playground was rocks. Like, and we, we would swing and fall down and all that. That was part of life. And you just, you, you took risks and you knew because you would have your little oopsie, you go, oh, okay, be a little more careful or, or whatever. But now we've been so conditioned to an expectation of like, I've got to protect you from everything and anything that could possibly do you harm based on my model of the world. Cause you could watch all the porn you want. You just can't like, you know, go outside and ride a bicycle without a helmet. It's the biggest mistake that we make, and this really goes to the level of consciousness and what I've learned uh, working with uh, spiritual plants, spiritual medicine, like Mother Ayahuasca and whatnot. We 
could throw our infant into a pool and the baby would swim. It is our fear that they might drown, Mm -hmm. that they pick up on and makes them drown. We are reincarnated beings and we have our muscle memory from past lives with us. And all it takes is a little reminder. For those of you who have children, you can see this in your children. One day you'll say something or do something that's a little different in how you've handled things in the past. And you will watch your child react to it mm-hmm. like it's a prearranged deal how they were going to react to it, uniquely affected by what you just did, what you just said. And you realize, oh shit, I never want to do this to them again. Or you realize, oh wow, they really respond to this. Look at that. How cool. Because it is something that is natural within them. I had to teach myself to parent my kids before I left the house with them on the bikes. Because otherwise, I was going to be calling into question and attracting the possibility of them being hit by cars and whatever else the whole time I was with them by just trying to be a good parent. But I was recognizing that that was wrong. Every time I said to them that they were going to get hit by a car or they were being dangerous, I was giving them an opportunity to demonstrate that to me. I was telling them that I didn't trust them. I don't trust you. You're going to injure yourself. And that is the sure way to make your child injure themselves. And I can say this as a child. I was hit by a car when I was 11. My first thought was my mom is going to be so mad at me. My thought would never have been my mom is going to be so mad at me if I had not had my mother obviously put into my mind the notion that I was going to get hit by a car. So you know where my brain was about being hit by a car. It was possible. It doesn't have to be possible. These things don't have to be possible. We attract these situations. You know, that's what the secret's all about. You know, if you want to write the, read, read the secret. And, uh, you know, there's so many people who, who talk about this wonderfully. I love Abraham Hicks. She's just so myopic in her laws of attraction. But once I really started to understand them, I recognize that as a parent, we have a responsibility, one, to allow our children to fuck up. We really need to let them make the mistakes they want to make. And uh, I found this with my mom. There were mistakes that she really did not want me to make. And I told her years later, I was like, Mom, I wish you would let me make those mistakes because as soon as I got away from you, I made them anyway. And it would have been way better. would have been more helpful back then. <laughs> yes. If I had made them while I was under your roof, I could have turned to you and cried about it. And I would have been like, you told me not to. I did it anyway. And look what happened. And then you could have been there for me. And then on other instances where I, that mistake you thought I was making, it wasn't a mistake. And then you would have been able to see it wasn't a mistake for me, mom. You stopped me from making the right choice for myself. Because you used your parameters to guard, to guide my life. And maybe you had to learn that for different reasons. You know, maybe you had to learn that pot was, um, was a, uh, you know, wasn't a good drug for your friends because it wasn't a good drug for you. But for me, it was the perfect drug for me and it calmed me down and it, it, you know, cured my ADD and allowed me to get work done and allowed me to uh, cope with my chronic pain and so many reasons why it was right for me. But you were like, no, 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 no. Perhaps I wouldn't have went through the first seven years of my, my like a, adult life in crazy anxiety if I had just smoked some weed with my buddy, Brian, 
or smoke some weed with my other buddy. Like, you know, these were good friends of mine who did not seem to be having any negative effects from it. And they would never invite me to go because they knew I didn't do that. And I wasn't that guy. I didn't smoke weed until I was 28. Wow. You know, so this was a big mistake for me. It wasn't a mistake for me. For me, it was, it was huge. It was enlightening. Helped me to get where I needed to be. And, uh, you know, the mistakes that we guard our kids from, they aren't always mistakes. These are lessons that they're supposed to learn. And the mistakes that are mistakes, well, they needed to learn the same way you learned so that it really resonated within them because that's what it takes to learn sometimes, you know? 100%. Well, dude, this was awesome. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're here talking about my daughter, or my, I'm thinking about my daughter as we're talking about child rearing. I'm hearing her a little downstairs. Heidi's off. Uh, she's getting her hair done, and uh, we went longer than um, her movie. Oh, Art. nice. I said I've got off of daddy duty today. So. Uh, good on you. Uh, but how can people uh, get in touch with you? You got your record coming out. Is there a site they could go to so they can, you know, get some information, yeah. buy your record, um, get your books? If you want to see the height of my artistry, working, trying to communicate um, some of the problems that are going on in this world, uh, we had a comic book come out through Image Comics, but the comic book is free and the six songs are free at www.blacklightdistrict.co. And if you go there, you can really check out um, you know, the best stuff that I've ever done as a musician. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Jesse B. Snyder is my personal account on Facebook. And, um, and really, uh, you know, just type in Jesse Blaze to anywhere you, you listen to music. I have six albums that are now available. My latest album is called Come With Me If You Want to Live. Um, and, um, you know, it's really just about my kind of spiritual journey um, over the last, like, eight years. And um, I'm so excited to have it out. I've got a lot more music to come and um, a lot more meaning and, and, and messages uh, beyond this stuff. As I said, an underground movement needs underground music. So uh, I'm going to try to uh, facilitate the need. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much. Uh, quick, as I'm leaving, quick share. Huh? I said, thank you so much for having me. It was great to see you and talk to you. Oh, dude, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. For, for those of you, we, we, we actually talked for like a half hour before we even started, just kind of catching up and, and uh, having some great conversations. Um, also, they, you go and put this on the radio. Yeah, we should go put this on the radio. <laughs> Um, for just uh, to leave for everybody and for you, if you go to guidedhypnotic.com, G-U-I-D-E-D, hypnotic, H-Y-P-N-O-T-I-C.com, you could download a free um, guided meditation that I do. I've got a whole album. I've got 12 uh, hypnotic guided meditations where it's got some them and, and some uh, customized uh, meditations. I think you'd uh, appreciate it. Um, so, I think I would. Yeah, it's, it's badass. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much. And we hopefully got some friends here, uh, got to meet you through uh, Combined Tribes on, on Facebook. And uh, we will get this out shortly. Thanks so much for having me, Doug. Love you, man. Uh, thank you. I love you for who you are and who you aren't. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here and we look forward to serving you even more remember download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com 
That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.